Welcome to Let's Talk Memoir, a podcast for memoir lovers, readers, and writers. I'm your host, Ronit Plank. Today, my guest is Megan Margulies and Aileen Weintraub, who together are the Witches of Pitches, and I will introduce each of them separately. Megan is the author of the memoir, My Captain America, a granddaughter's memoir of a legendary comic book artist, which was a finalist for a Next Generation Indie Book Award. Her essays and reported pieces about women's health and parenting have appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, The Washington Post, and Elle magazine, among others. She is a co-founder of The Witches of Pitches, which is an editing and consulting service for writers at all stages of their careers. Aileen Weintraub is the author of Knockdown, a high-risk memoir about marriage, motherhood, and the risks we take. She has written health and parenting pieces for The Washington Post, Oprah Daily, NBC, AARP, Glamour, InStyle, and many other publications. She has also published over 50 children's books, including the middle grade social justice book, We Got Game, 35 Female Athletes Who Changed the World, and the best-selling Never Too Young, 50 Unstoppable Kids Who Made a Difference, a Parents' Choice Award winner. She, too, is a co-founder of The Witches of Pitches. Welcome, Megan, and welcome, Aileen. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here today. <laughs> Aileen, I heard you pause there because you're like, who's talking first? I'm like, yeah. I always let Megan talk first. This yeah, is, just, yeah, this is like when you have a session with the Witches of Pitches, there's always like, a, I'll, no, you go. No, I'll go. No, you go. And then we just interrupt each other anyway. Right. Yeah. Well, I know. I know that's what we're in for. It's what I'm looking forward to. So I'm just going to let you two have at it when I ask a question in general. I'm just okay. gonna, it's going to be kind of like a drinking game for me to see who goes first. No, yeah. I'm kidding. Aileen, can you share a bit about your memoir, Knockdown? Sure. So Knockdown is my story about being a commitment-phobic Jewish girl from Brooklyn who moves to the country and ends up on pregnancy-related bed rest for five months in a rickety old farmhouse. <laughs> and everything that can go wrong goes wrong. Okay. And I think for our non-Jewish listeners or for people who don't know a lot of Jews, which, you know, it does happen. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> why is it extra important to know that you're a Jewish girl who ends up in a farmhouse? Well, I, <laughs> I leave my Jewish community to move to the country. And that's a really big part of my story. And part of that is that they end up disowning me because I marry someone who is not Jewish. And so a thread in my memoir is coming to terms with what that means. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you so much. And then Megan, can you talk a bit about My Captain America? Sure. I'm, I'm probably going to not be as concise as Aileen, but... Um... Yeah, Aileen, that was really concise. <laughs> yeah. Hers, hers was beautiful. Uh, uh, hers was elevator you, pitch concise. <laughs> it was elevator pitch. Well, since we're talking memoir, let me just say that I had a really hard time with my elevator pitch, so I practiced oh. and practiced. So yeah, I appreciate well, the it. compliment. Yeah, thank yes. you. Yeah. <laughs> Elev elevator pitches are one of the hardest things. Okay, my Captain America, it's a coming-of-age story. It's about my childhood in New York City and how I escaped to my grandfather's apartment, who is the co-creator of Captain America, so there's sort of uh, two storylines in there where I talk about my coming of age and then I talk about his arrival to New York and his career. And I think the overall 
message is how I keep him with me, even though he's passed on um, for many years now, but how I keep him Mm -hmm. in my life and keep him present. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And, you know, I want to ask you each, I just find it so interesting when we bring a book into the world, when when memoirists and writers decide, okay, I'm going to do this. And then the, the, the way you go about it can be so different. And the journey to publication is so different for everyone. So when did you know, and this is for either of you first, when did you know you wanted to write this particular book? And what was the process like? So when did I know? I knew I can tell you the exact moment I knew when I wanted to write this book. My son was five years old and I was still like processing what had happened. It was very traumatic to be on bed rest. I had postpartum depression and I was momming really hard and I got a reading group together and we read The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin and we all like went for Japanese food and we're all talking and I came home and I was like, I'm going to make this my happiness project. And that's when I started writing. And I called a friend of mine and it really all hinged on her. I was like, hey, I'm thinking of writing a book about this experience. And if she had said, don't do it, it probably would have been like, ah, okay. But she said, go for it. And so, <laughs> and so I did. And it took 10 years to write this book. So that was the moment and that's how long it took. <laughs> and in between the writing process for the book, were you also publishing articles in children's books? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I started, I was already a children's book author, so I was already doing that. And then I wouldn't say right away did I start publishing articles, but it took a couple of years. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to start building my platform. So when I go out, my name is more recognizable. And I think that's really an, an important part of writing a memoir is writing companion pieces. And that's something the Witches of Pitches, you know, helps with a lot of compa- with companion pieces and things like that. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's we're definitely going to dig into that and I I'm not totally well versed in the whole landscape although I kind of see what's out there to an extent and I feel like that concentration on the companion pieces is probably very very special to you the witches of pitches like they feel like that's like a niche that you really occupy is that true yeah I mean I mean the companion pieces it's not just about building your platform which is necessary but it's about honing in on your story and really figuring out the themes um, that are going to be in your book so we just we feel like it's just beneficial in so many different ways Mm -hmm. and Megan can you talk about when you knew you had my Captain America this book in you and and what your process was like yeah I love this question because I just wrote an essay for Vogue about this time of my life which it took going to a, a talk with two Vermont authors and hearing them talk about their process where I realized there was something here. I had just had my first child and I had to, I didn't have to give up my day job, but the cost of childcare and versus just staying home with her, it just, it didn't make sense to be going to mm. this job that I wasn't passionate about. Um, I had done an MFA program 10 years before that. So I had a somewhat of a manuscript in a drawer hmm. that I had put in there and I kind of like forgot about and I pulled it out when I was home with the newborn and I think there was something about that time where I was just trying to find myself again and I knew that writing was what made me who I was 
that brought me to writing the book. But I think, and this is something that Aileen had mentioned with her story, is that I kind of needed the distance from the experience Mm. of losing my grandfather to really be able to process and write about it in the way that it needed to be written about. Mm. Because we were very, very close. It was one of the hardest things I went through losing him. So by that time, you know, I had this newborn and I was thinking a lot about him because I kept thinking, well, he's never going to meet her. And that was sort of heartbreaking to me. So then I said, you know what, I maybe now is the time to really start a writing career. So I I went Mm. for it. Mm -hmm. And how long ago was that? Oh, God, Um, (laughs) eight years ago. Hmm. So yeah. when you each think back on your memoir writing and then the publishing experience for each of your books, can you can you reflect on what you feel went really well? And, and if you had a chance, what you might do differently? I think I would try to have more patience. I think that something that memoirists and, and writers in general, we, we want everything now. And we think that our stories have to get out there if something happened in the news, that it's timely. But writing is a process. And we have to honor that process. And your book is ready when it's ready. And you don't get too many opportunities to present to each person, to each editor or agent. So you want to make it that the you want to make it the best it can be. And so that takes time and patience and also a belief in yourself. So I wish I believed in myself and in my process more. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And how about you, Megan? Do you have anything there like that you think went really well for you and what you might do differently? I I think I was very lucky in that I was able to get an agent rather quickly. Um, And I think a lot of that was due to having a grandfather who had a well-known comic book character. Looking back, you know, it didn't go smoothly. I published at the height of the COVID pandemic. It wasn't the best timing, but not much I can do with that, right? Um, But I think looking back... Um, I, I wish I was more aware of the cover and the title and how those work together and what that meant for the audience of my book. I think my book was a tricky mix of memoir and comic book history. So people who aren't necessarily super into comic books might look at a book titled My Captain America, which wasn't the title I wanted, And so that might be a little bit of a turnoff for them, right? So I think it was Mm. just sort of lost in this in-between of of coming-of-age memoir and comic book history. And I think looking back, I wish that I fought a little bit harder on the title and maybe Mm. the – I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's just – it's hard, I think, in hindsight. You you might have all these ideas of what you would have done differently. But I think everything I've learned – I'm just taking with me into the next book and I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm so much more prepared and not only taking it with me to my next book, but when Aileen and I work with clients, like we've gone through the struggle and we've had Mm -hmm. our ups and most importantly, we've had our downs, which I think is the most important when you're sort of passing on your knowledge. Well, this is a really great way to begin our conversation about the Witches of Pitches, which is a service that offers a range of 
options for authors and query I'm just going to read a few because I was looking at your menu there's query letter reviews and nonfiction book proposals and honing a pitch and brainstorming companion pieces as I mentioned before kvetch sessions so and I th- I guess we might need to explain kvetch I'm not sure not everyone like watches you know Seinfeld anymore um, so so when did you two realize that you wanted to create the witches of pitches and what gap in the market did you see Aileen, when did our love story begin? Yes, yes. Let me. So during the pandemic, Megan reached out to me and said, do you want to be part of this writer's group uh, where we read each other's essays? And my first reaction was like, oh, my God, Megan Margulies wants to be in a writer's group with me. Oh, shut <laughs> I was, up. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally serious. And I was like, and I was like, I told my family, I'm like, these are real writers. Like, you don't under, like, you all have to be very quiet during these Zoom sessions. <laughs> Um, and that's how our love story began and so we did that for a really long time and we realized that we we loved it It wasn't just the two of us it was a group of us and um, we loved doing it so much and we after that ended we kept doing it for each other and we realized we were helping other people anyway and we were we wanted to do a service for the literary community and help other writers because I feel like there is a gap in the market for this like a lot of editors work with whole manuscripts and we wanted to a be affordable because we know exactly how much writers make and we wanted to give them smaller focuses so query letters uh essays 50 page reads and my personal favorite I think Megan's too is the fetch session where sometimes you just need to talk something through with someone who's been through it and those are our favorite we love to give advice We've been through so much. We have a lot of experience with editors, with agents, with querying, with waiting, with pitching. So, so we're like, let's and we lo- and Megan and I fetch all the time. So we're like, let's fetch with other people. Fetch being complain and whine. Yes, we agree yes. on that. Yeah, yes. it's yeah. Yiddish, right? Okay. Yeah. And what about you, Megan? Thanks for that answer, Aileen. Sure. Yeah, I, I so Aileen and I fell in love through a writer, <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah, when that ended, you know, I. I, I loved helping other writer friends with reading their pieces and Aileen and I would do it for each other. And, you know, as she said, there was just, it felt like there was a gap in the market for these smaller details of the industry. And I think being a freelance writer and publishing can often feel very mysterious and like there's yeah. secrets and you know you can't you can't <laughs> succeed unless you know all these little secrets even I see this so much with when people are pitching editors and they're asking for editor contacts and my biggest thing is you can learn to f- find that yourself like 100% sometimes you just need a good friend to be like here's the name of this editor like go mm-hmm. ahead but it's just so much more empowering to be able to stalk an editor on your own. (laughs) I'm sure all the editors, all the editors listening will really appreciate that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's not that hard. Like it takes a little bit of time. It's like figuring out a puzzle. Um, And then you start to build relationships, even if that relationship is just, hi, it's me pitching you for the 20th time and you still haven't accepted anything. They know who you are. um, And if you're lucky, they respond with a no thank you, but please pitch again. So it's just like, we just wanted to be able to walk 
people through these sort of things. You, you know, if they're new to mm-hmm. it, if they're seasoned writers who just haven't pitched companion pieces before. Okay. Well, and what have you learned about writers and writing from working with writers at all stages of their projects? Because you obviously are walking the walk of a writing life. That's what you do. That's how you started. But now you have this other this other view this other perspective available to you so is there something that that's come up for you that is sort of an aha moment about you know the way that writers approach things that maybe we as writers might not notice or or that we could improve upon I just see it so much of what Aileen was saying how she felt in the beginning and what she wished she she would have done differently and I see it in almost every client we have where there's this lack of confidence and so, so many times we're like, you are a good writer. You've got this. You just have to put in the work. And that may mean 20 drafts of this manuscript. But you, you have those skills. Um, and also the patience part of it, um, which, hello, I have learned so much <laughs> about myself. Like, I am, I mean, I always knew I was a very impatient person, but it's it just, going through the freelance life and publishing a book I'm like this is so slow and I don't know if I can survive this but it really is so important mm-hmm. and and to that end you know what do you recommend that writers do to maybe better approach the business side of having a writing career is there sort of I know that's a really broad question but is there sort of a mindset shift or any kind of special way you want them to look at the writing life career side you know the business side of it for you know I think it's this goes back to your previous question about imposter syndrome right like which is you know the and confidence and when we don't have confidence or we feel like we're not writers it's hard to look at it as a business but even the best businesses have to start somewhere And the problem with writing, unfortunately, is if you're writing this entire book that takes years, you're not seeing, you know, the paycheck or the rewards of it. And so that can make it hard. But you have to set aside the time, you know, and especially for moms, it feels like writing is going to be the thing that comes last. It's, you know, if you're if you have a full time job, if you have kids And I think carving out the time to write and saying, this is my business, this is my job, or it's part of my job, is a really good place to start. One of the things that I've noticed, and again, this probably goes back to your last question a little bit too, is when writers are approaching the business side of writing, whether that be writing their book proposal um, or writing the pitch letter for the article they want to write, I see a lot that they completely put their creative side to the back burner. Like they just leave it at home and Mm. that is all forgotten. And so many times we have to tell people that is such an important part of writing the pitch or writing the proposal. Yes, absolutely. There's the more boring technical parts of writing a proposal. But editors and agents want to, even in the marketing section, they want to see your voice and they want to see how great of a writer you are and how you can bring things alive. So I I think that's my biggest piece of advice is don't leave your creative side 
at home when you're when you're facing the more business side of things. Mm-hmm. It's not really to be compartmentalized, it sounds no, like, that you can no. incorporate it. So let's talk about platform because platform, 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 you know, especially for nonfiction writers, memoir writers, and also this idea of companion pieces. So I know we kind of jumped in and I didn't even pause long enough to really clarify what a companion piece is, which I think we should. And also let's talk about platform because I know people have different opinions about this and some people will say you must have a big platform to get an agent and a publishing house's interest you must and others will say not necessarily like if you you know if your if your story is captivating enough or blah 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 so let's talk about platform and let's talk about what a companion piece is aliens the queen of yeah. platform <laughs> it's true so well, a companion piece is an essay or an article that somehow relates to the book you're writing. And that helps you build your platform. So if you submit an essay on your topic or not even on your topic, because I think a lot of people get stuck on that, but on a theme or a thread or something even sort of related to your book, that's a companion piece and you pitch it and you get it placed somewhere and maybe an editor sees it and they want to read more of your work and they, or an agent and they reach out to you. So, so sometimes what happens is some, you know, people get signed that way. So it's, it's good to start building your platform with companion pieces. I think, and I, I think also it's um, not an easier way to build platform, but it might feel more accessible to people than say getting a million Twitter followers or X, mm-hmm. whatever we're calling mm-hmm. it now, right? Um, <laughs> I'm hoping it just burns to the ground. <laughs> right? Well, no, because that's a great way to find editors still. So I know, right, yeah. Don't give away all the secrets, but are you saying that people can stalk editors on X slash Twitter, whatever? Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's yeah, a great all way. All social media, yeah. Mm-hmm. LinkedIn is a great way. Um, Google, a lot of people Google, just yeah. don't even Google. Just yeah. it's Mastheads, those are all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Th- those are all I have ideas, yeah. I have literally googled email format for you know Vogue magazine or whatever it was you know and you just there's so many emails in my trash folder that are just like bounce backs <laughs> that are like nope nope no, try again that, that try didn't again. work <laughs> yeah. that's awesome and when it doesn't bounce back you're like I'm you're in. like yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay so wait 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 so wait 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 platform 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 someone define platform because you and I you know we all talk this way we understand it but for people who don't understand what is a platform and what is your understanding of how much of it we need okay so a platform is a is the way you grow and reach your audience. Uh, so that could be through social media, it could be through companion pieces. And I just want to go back to talking about companion pieces for a minute because I'm a strong believer that writers need to get paid for their work. And when you pitch and sell a companion piece, you're getting paid. So not only are you getting your name out there, not only are you promoting this book you're writing, but you're actually getting paid, which builds confidence as well. So that's why I think companion pieces are great. Um, But there's so many ways. There's podcasts, interviews, panels, workshops. These are all ways to grow your audience and get your name out there and also to position yourself as an expert in your field, which will all be very nice for an agent or editor to see. 
So is platform as necessary? You know, what if you're an incredible writer? What if you have a story that is not that common and you're, you know, you, you just get an agent to look at your email on a really good day? Is platform really important still? So I think for nonfiction, it's, it's much more important than for fiction. If you have a really compelling story. And you're an amazing writer. Yeah, every editor I've ever spoken to has said they, they, the platform is secondary to the writing. The right, they want to be wowed by the writing. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yes, if you have an amazing story, nobody has ever heard this story, this has never happened to anything, anybody else, and you are an incredible writer, and you're a debut writer, and you have you know no bylines, no social media, yeah, you can, st- sure, it's, it's totally possible. But it's it's more of in the sense of like anything's possible, right? Like sure, there's yeah. going to be those stories, but I think mm-hmm. even if that is your case, uh, you sell the book, you're going to want to start building your platform, and I think the publisher is going to want you to start building a little bit of a platform. So I think it just makes sense to try and get that going. Yeah, and I think I think what you how you described the platform helped me just now too because I always think of it as merely a social media following, you know, and and that is really hard to attain for a lot of people. I mean, you can show up every day on social media and not have a gi- ginormous amount of followers, right? But teaching, you know, being able to speak at places, getting onto podcasts, getting companion pieces, all these things are part of it, which is heartening. Yeah, and a lot of people just don't like social media, so they don't have mm-hmm. to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and social media alone is not going to sell your books. Mm-hmm. It, it can so for me, social media helped me promote Knockdown immensely because I reached out to editors through social media. I didn't just it wasn't so much my post, but it was more about commenting on social media. It was about joining Facebook groups mm-hmm. uh, of you know, in, like even just mom groups or pregnancy groups. So it's, it's it's not just posting about your book on social media. It's so much more than that. Is there a big pitching or publishing don't that you feel strongly about? Well, okay, so my, my don't isn't going to be like a scolding don't. My don't is to not fall into what you think the rules are and limit yourself in terms of how you're formatting your pitch or your query. Um, I, th- I think, as I said before, publishing feels a little mysterious to a lot of people and there's so many rules and you have to get everything right and we're very intimidated by everyone in it. Um, but, you know, I- I'm just, I'm big into everyone leaning into their creativity and sh- sort of using that to wow agents and editors. Um, so, you know, the way we like to start a query letter or a pitch letter is really going to be like grab their attention, grab the agent's attention from the beginning. Like I know the rule is say, hi, this is what my book is called. And it's this many words, right? People are just going to get stuck in these rules. And I, w- I would say just be careful of that. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And then thank you for that. And what do you think is the publishing climate like these days? And I mean these days really currently. You know, we've been through a pandemic. We're maybe out of the pandemic. I don't know. Do you feel like anything has shifted? How is it to play shorter pieces these days and, you know, publishing in general? What do you feel? God, I don't know. Is it ever yeah. easy? It, <laughs> it's, I don't think it's ever been easy. I think the, the one bright side is that I'm seeing more and more small presses pop up. And a lot of people are able to publish their books through small presses and then do marketing and publicity on their own and it empowers them. So they may not be getting this big paycheck, but they're getting more attention to their books, more of a collaborative effort. Um, So that's a positive, I think. I do think it's, you know, it's always been hard to get an agent. It's always been hard to place a companion piece or get in with editors, you know, for newspapers and magazines. But once you're in and you you start nurturing these relationships, doors start opening up. So it, again, it's just having patience. It's not, a lot of people give up too soon, I think. And I think if you just persist, yeah. Just memoir in general is just so difficult to sell. And that's how we all walk into this is being Mm -hmm. told that it's so hard, it's impossible. Um, I think taking my own journey into consideration, um, I I would recommend, again, be patient with the work, but also that means find the other story in your story, right? So you're gonna have this story of this experience that happened to you and you say, I wanna write a memoir there's another story within it. Like you really have to dig deep and take your time and write those companion pieces and build that foundation for your career. It's it's hard, but just take time. I absolutely know what you're talking about, about finding that story within the story that you already think you're telling. That, you know, that will add nuance and a layer to your work that you didn't even expect. Um, but we have to look for it, you know. So, so how do you balance, the two of you, how do you balance your creative writing time and space with deadlines and projects that you have for clients? How have you been able to protect that? A lot of kvetching. Yeah, a lot of kvetching. It's true. <laughs> Wait, do you two have your own kvetch session? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. All like time. every day. Every day. Like you are, we just have texts, texts and texts of kvetches. Uh, sometimes, and sometimes we actually have Zoom sessions where we just, okay, time for a kvetch, yeah. you know. So um, I, think, I think for me, I, 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 before I was a writer, I was an editor. I've always been an editor. That's how I started my career. And it's such a peaceful place for me. I love to edit other people's work, get into a juicy manuscript or a juicy essay or article. And so that's almost, the witches of pitches is my reward for the difficulties of writing. So I'll, I'll write first and, you know, cause we sometimes we suffer through our writing and it's, it's hard. And so then I'm like, oh, but I get to read somebody else and help them and develop their story. So that's how I balance it. Mm, I, I mean, sort of the same for me, where I get stuck in my own writing and I get frustrated and then I pick up the work of a Witches of Pitches client and um, I sort of get lost in it. And it's a, a, a it just feels so good to get out of my own headspace and mm-hmm. focus on somebody else. And I'm learning so much about my own writing helping other people. Like, it's been amazing. Yeah. The lessons that I, you know, it's so much easier looking at somebody else's writing and figuring out what it needs 
So all the time I'm like, duh, this is what I need for my story, you know? Yeah, I totally feel that. Yes. So what about books or memoirs that you feel are very useful to memoirists working on their manuscripts or and or books that really helped you or, or you feel very close to that you'd like to recommend, like a couple for each of you? Oh, I'm rereading The Art of Memoir right now. I like to say it's important to read memoirs that are similar to what you're writing, just to act as sort of like an inspiration. But it's also, and this is something I've just learned for myself, even if you're not a big fiction reader, I think it's really helpful to read a good novel while you're writing your memoir to sort of remind yourself that your book needs to read as a novel. There needs to be that storyline and that narrative arc because often when we're writing memoir, it can start to feel like a journal entry where you're just like, and this happened and this happened and this happened. And you really need to be able to pull the reader along for the story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So The Art of Memoir by Mary Carr. Okay. And any other books in there for either of you? Yeah. So I was going to say just read fiction. That's so, <laughs> so I agree, <laughs> I agree with Megan, but for that reason, like sometimes you have, I think that it's important to read a lot of memoir if you're writing memoir, but it can also be too much. So it's good to read something completely different. And for that mm-hmm. very reason is because it's really important to have a narrative arc in your memoir. You know, I always recommend Bomb Shelter by Mary Laura Philpot, and right now I'm reading You Can Make This Place Beautiful by Maggie Smith and she's she's a poet and she wrote this memoir oh yes I was gonna say her too she was gonna be on my just yeah (laughs) I I love her her short chapters oh my chapters are like one paragraph and I'm like god damn it you could do whatever you want like why did I feel like I can't do that like right yeah right like not every chapter has to be like five pages, yeah. 10 pages, 15 pages. Right. You can, you learn so much by reading other people's styles and what they mm-hmm, do yeah. and how they play around with words. I took a lot out of that, but also I'm hearing narrative arc from both of you and plot in a sense because fiction is really helpful that way. And so that gives me also a sense of how you two like to edit and work. And so before I ask you where people can find you, is there anything I haven't asked you about the Witches of Pitches um, that you would like to say or about your work that you would like to add before we wind down? When you're working on your memoir, you know, there's so many components to it. It's not, it's not just the plot, just the narrative arc. It's the character development, the dialogue. I love seeing dialogue in memoir, and I think memoirs shy away from that. And it really just gives your book so much more depth and flavor. And so just concentrating on themes and threads and not just telling the story, but it's that age old show the story. Don't just tell it. Right. So show us the character. Show us how things unfold naturally. Slow scenes down. A lot of times we see our clients um, trying to rush through one section to get to another. But take the time to unpack your story. You can always cut later. The other part is the how you organize your story. It doesn't have to be strictly chronological. And that's something that we love playing with when people send us their first 50 pages. It's sort of like a light bulb goes off for them when we're talking to them because, you know, we're like, you can move this. You're, you're really focusing on the themes, not necessarily the timeline, right? 
Um, so there's so much freedom and you can be playful with it. And I guess that goes back to my whole like stay with your creativity during mm-hmm. the whole process. Um, but yeah, I, I, I always tell people to try and have a little fun with it. Thank you. And where is the best place for people to find you? They could find us at witchesofpitches.com. Okay. And I want to thank you both so much for sharing some of your advice and experience here. I think you are a powerhouse and your sense of humor also (laughs) must be really fun to work with. So thank you so much for being my guests. Thank you so much, Renee. We had such a good time talking to you today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk Memoir. For more about this episode and my guest, please visit the link in the show notes or on Instagram at Ronit Plank. That's R-O-N-I-T-P-L-A-N-K. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. If you liked this episode of Let's Talk Memoir, please go ahead and share it with your friends and subscribe. And if you have two more seconds, you can rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, which really does help other people find the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you.